This is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello and welcome back to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today is episode 25. I think that feels like a bit of a landmark. We are a quarter of the way to 100 episodes. Um, Yeah, I can't believe we've hit 25 episodes. That's uh, almost half a year, although because I uh, originally started at uh, two episodes a month, we have technically gone past um, half a year of existence. So well done, baby Rebel Author. We are officially over half a year old. So today's episode is with Daniel Parsons. I met Daniel quite a number of years ago now. Um, I think we were drunk at a party, but anyway, I think you'll hear about that uh, in the podcast. We are talking all about how authors and introverts can network more effectively. Okay, first of all, to last week's question. Last week's question was, should you judge a book by its cover? Ella Holmes said, I'll admit, I used to judge books by their cover, but I recently learned my lesson. I refused to buy a certain book series, which was historical fiction, for so long because the cover was a bad stock photo and with an even worse filter over it. But I actually ended up loving the series. So I have also had a range of experiences um, very similar to that, both good and bad. Some uh, realising Uh, with wonderful covers that the books were actually terrible and also with very bad covers that uh, ended up with absolutely brilliant books. So yeah, I can definitely sympathise and that is (laughs) quite the lesson to learn. Tom Fowler said, a good cover doesn't guarantee a good book, of course. You can put a bow tie on a pig, but it's still a pig. It does mean the author takes their work seriously, though, and this is a good thing. Do you know, I could not... Um, I actually giggled quite a lot when I read this. Um, I think um, the, the the British phrase that is similar to that is you can cover a turd in glitter, but it's still a turd. Um, but yes, I, I, this, this is the important, the important lesson um, to take away from that is that I do believe a good cover indicates that the author does value their work and take it seriously. Of course, not everybody can afford good covers, but you know, I would. Um, you know, hope that those authors that can't are trying to perhaps exchange skills or, you know, looking at saving for a cover before publishing. Okay, Shay Blizzard uh, says, a good cover definitely entices me, but as a whale, uh, as I whale read genre fiction ebooks, uh, cover art is so incredible and easily accessible now. Um, I always read blurb and look inside first. Print books are a bit different as I usually already know um, I want the book for sure. So its cover isn't as important to me. And I only buy certain paperbacks due to book prices here. And Shay is in Australia. So that is what she means. I definitely read blurbs. I also do the look inside. I have such an enormous, I mean, like, let's be real. I literally have an entire bookcase of TBRs. So I can't really justify buying loads of books unless I really, really know that I'm going to read them. So I do do the look inside and I will read a page or two before I purchase a book these days. But yes, it is the cover and it is the first impression. So that is what entices me too. The book recommendation this week is, of course, our wonderful guest, Daniel Parsons' non-fiction book, networking for authors and I will leave links in the show notes to that. And in the theme of this week, the question this week is how do you network? You can answer that in the show notes uh, on your podcatcher or um, on my website in the episode post or also actually in the Facebook group, which I have rebranded to Rebel Authors. So if you would like to join the Facebook group, just search for Rebel Authors. And if you are listening to this in real time, uh, on Wednesday the 15th of April, uh, when this episode goes live, in the evening I will be hosting a live Poison and Prose writing sprint with Jenna Moresi, the YouTube sensation, and Meg Latour, the founder of iWritely, also equally YouTube sensation. So um, we will be, it's called Poison and Prose because we are going to be writing 
fighting our pros and either drinking, eating or consuming a poison of our choice. Mine is going to be gin, um, but it could be chocolate, it could be nachos, it could be whatever you like. So I will leave information um, on that in the show notes and links to that as well. In personal update news this week, I don't know how you guys are finding the weeks, but they are certainly starting to blur into an endless stream of rinse and repeat for me. Um, I am finding it hard, harder definitely to get work done because obviously we have a six-year-old, but I am making do's, trying to stay positive and um, getting done what I can get done and trying to be kind to myself when I either can't or the child has to, you know, watch another film or whatever. Uh, so yeah, let me know how y- you guys are doing. Uh, that said, miraculously, I did manage to write um, the Anatomy of Prose uh, workbook last week. So I will be editing it in the next couple of days and then shipping it off to the editor and getting the pre-order for the Anatomy of Prose workbook live this week. I have now received half of the um, paperback proofs. I've received the Uh, KDP print ones, not the Ingram ones yet. Unfortunately, Ingram, I had a problem with my paperback uh, proof for Ingram Spark, and that is why the paperback pre-order isn't live yet. But I hope to be getting that live this week at last. What else am I doing? Ah, well, of course, the Prose Digital, the Anatomy of Prose Digital ebook is now live on all stores. So you can get that and I will, uh, you can pre-order that and I will leave a link in the show notes and that is being released on the 29th of May. So this week I am going to be setting up that giveaway that I mentioned last week for the signed uh, copy, which I will sign and annotate and um, add add a few things in. Uh, This week I will be working on a non-fiction project that I can't quite talk about yet and really moving into launch preparation for the Anatomy of Prose. And last but by no means least, I will drag out my third young adult fantasy book, which is about 75k, and look at where I am uh, with that and how in the hell I am going to finish this fucking book that I've already spent 18 months trying to write. Okay. Listener Rebel of the Week this week is Michael Nasberg. Michael says, one of my favourite rebel moments is the time I got out of a work assignment I didn't want to do by stalling on it for so long my boss forgot about it, which I think is hilarious. And also somebody could clearly do to me because I'm practically senile half the time anyway. If you would like to be a Rebel of the Week, please do send in your story. It can be any kind of rebellion, big, small, or somewhere in between. You can email your Rebel story to rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com or tweet me at rebelauthorpod. Two new patrons this week. Oh my goodness, I couldn't believe it. Thank you so much, guys. So thank you and welcome back to Taryn Blackthorn and Katie Forrest. As always, I want to say a deep thank you to all of my patrons, especially in these times of uncertainty. I'm extremely grateful to everybody who helps to ensure that this podcast continues. And I did mention last week that we, uh, I was looking at adding uh, some extra uh, bonuses, benefits to Patreon. Um, and I am just trying to decide between Slack and Discord at the moment. Um, but I'm thinking about adding a community and that is also on my to-do list for the next week. If you would like to support the show and get early access to all of the episodes, as well as access to bonus essays, posts and content, you can from as little as just $2 a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. And that's Sasha with a C and not an S. Okay, on with the show. Hello and welcome back to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I am joined by Dan Parsons. Dan is the international best-selling author of eight books. His first non-fiction guide, the hashtag Art of Twitter, was an Amazon bestseller and, uh, and hit number 30 on Book Authority's list of the top 100 digital marketing books of all time. For fiction, his debut fantasy novel, The Winter Freak Show, was the USA's fastest downloaded children's book on Christmas Day in 2017. 
Besides writing, Dan has worked for three traditional publishing houses and as a bookseller in South Wales, UK. For more on his work, visit danielparsonsbooks.com. Check out his books online or join his 80,000 plus Twitter followers. He loves hearing from readers. Welcome. Thank you for having me on. That's a, that's a, a really nice introduction. <laughs> almost like you wrote it earlier almost (laughs) (laughs) um 80,000 twitter followers is wildly impressive yeah um it was it was more actually um at one point I I I stopped being quite so active I I still go on there but I don't you know three hours a day manically try to to grow my following at one point I think I got to 98 so I kind of wanted to hit the 100,000 but it was it was taking up so much time Mm. um so I sort of reduced it a little bit but um yeah, yeah, three, it, it went really well. Three hours a day to get get that level of of Twitter following. Yeah, there was. I think it took me, it took me about four years to go from zero to a hundred thousand, um, more or less. Um, but yeah, it was it was quite intense at the time. And then in the end, you're thinking, with Twitter, it's it's great because it it can drive loads of traffic, but they're not as active as you'd like to say with a mailing list. Mm. Um, so what you actually find is that you're not really getting the bang for your buck. And that three hours, you could be writing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we all know which one we should probably be doing. Um, so for listeners, I have known Dan for a little while now because um, did, did we actually meet at London Book Fair? Is that the first place we met? or where, where um, we... I can tell you exactly where we met. Uh, it was the Ally after party at the London Book Fair. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, let's not talk anymore about that. <laughs> it was a free bar. <laughs> it was a free bar. <laughs> and I don't need to say anything else. <laughs> um, so, <clears throat> tell listeners a little bit more about you, your books, your business, and, you know, your journey, how, to, how you've got to where you are now. Yeah, okay, so um, I've been writing, obviously, like most of us, since, since I was really, really young, um, but it was only six years ago that I published my first uh, book, and that was through uh, KDP. Um, before that, I did try the, the trad route, because obviously six years ago, um, self-publishing wasn't such a big deal. Um, so, so I wasn't aware of, of the potential of it. But um, I did the trad route. I, I applied to, to some agents and uh, found that I got a few, a few bites. Um, you know, some people were interested and asked me for the, the full manuscript and things like that, but it was just taking so long. Um, so I, I would apply and then anywhere between two and, and six or seven months later, they'd get back to me. Um, so I was in the last year of uni and I just thought oh, I'll, I'll put up a, a, a small Christmas novella um, as a side project just to sort of p- pad out my portfolio a little bit. Um, and that just started selling and I found that I really enjoyed the whole process and, and learning about self-publishing and all that stuff. So I just, I didn't carry on with the the trad side then I just decided to go whole hog into this um what inevitably happened though was I finished uni uh, <laughs> so I had to look for something to do and I I joined um a traditional publishing company for work experience which is it's an odd experience being an indie author working for a traditional publisher yeah. um, <laughs> how did yeah. that go <laughs> Well, really, really well, because it was quite a small publisher, the first one. Um, so the, they, at the time, were doing similar practices to me. Um, so we, we were sort of um, pooling our knowledge, because a lot of things that you know as an individual author, publishers won't think that way when they're dealing with lots of authors and vice versa. They'll have pr- practices that we don't have. Um, so it's, it's, quite, it's quite good, especially when I was so early into it, to get another perspective. Um, what you find is that you disagree on on lots of things, so especially when it comes to um, giving away free books. That was the big, the, the big sort of area of contention because um, traditional publishers typically, because they don't have an author's entire backlist, um, they're not thinking quite so long term. With if I give away this free book, then I can build a mailing list for them and, and things like that, and then that author will do really well in the long term. What they tend to think is how can I make as much money as possible on this book we're publishing right now? And typically that is don't give it away for free. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, um, I worked for three traditional publishing companies. Um, and over those six years I've published, I think I'm on book eight now, um, two pen names. Um, it would be a lot more, but I made so many mistakes early on 
that um, I think about two of that six years was correcting mistakes from the first <laughs> the first two years. Um, so we, yeah, it's, uh, it's been a journey. Yeah, we've we've all made those mistakes. My probably worst one was uh, a. Uh, upload error with a pre-order and somehow I was using vellum and I do textbook and workbook for my non-fiction and my textbook no my workbook got up was I don't know whether it was uploaded or if it was just named the wrong thing but basically the the workbook got uploaded in the textbook file and I didn't know until somebody pointed it out to me (laughs) after all of the pre-orders had gone out. So that was a very painful few days. Yeah. With Amazon, um, trying to fix that. And I have to say, I haven't done a pre-order since. (laughs) No, I've, um, I'm just doing a pre-order now and, and that's one of my main panics because I, I've heard of people who even they've, they've uploaded a file and then they've uploaded another file with all of the you know typos and things taken out closer to the time. And Amazon has mixed them up and put up the original file. So there's always that worry. You know? yeah. it, it, I'm going to say it probably wasn't your fault. <laughs> <laughs> well... Yeah, I mean, honestly, uh, because the files were different. And, you know, when I went and checked, the files were different, but whatever. Anyway, be there. We, we've, my point is we've all made mistakes. Yeah. Um, so you are in, in, in the process of publishing a new book called Networking for Authors. So let's start with why. Why is this an important book? What was the driver behind it? And, and I guess, why specifically networking for authors? Okay, so um, what you find is if you, if you look up networking on, on you know, any website, um, you'll get a lot, of, a lot of information that's quite vague. Um, so you've got things for you know, big companies, you know, tech companies, whatever you know, people are running. Um, and all of these things don't really apply to authors because we tend to have... Um, I know the whole company of one thing is going around at the moment where we have very small companies and um, we spend a lot of time on our own. And we don't really have the most sociable business model. Um, so when it comes to networking for authors, it's, it's basically it brings in the idea of community, which is not something that necessarily comes in with other businesses, because if you've got your own business, you know, hiring out JCBs, then you've probably got an office and you've got, a, that was a random example, but yeah, you've probably got an office of people and you're going out and meeting people all the time. And, and that's not something that you have as an author. So networking really needs to be at the forefront of, of your strategy just to remain sane. Um, there's also the fact that we're in a, in a sort of pivotal moment at the, at the moment because um, the publishing industry is changing. Um, and in the past, networking was a, a bit of an odd area for authors because authors didn't really have any power um, so they couldn't negotiate deals they couldn't do lots of these things in the same way that they could now because um, people didn't really know how anything worked it was a mysterious practice you apply to a publisher and then months later they get back to you and they give you a contract most people don't really know any of the uh, the trip hazards and things that are in the contract so they just say yeah absolutely let's let's go with that let's do that and they don't think they have options Whereas um, what I found since networking is that there are so many different options and you can essentially grow your business in, in millions of different ways um, just by meeting different people and trying, you know, people are talking about movie deals where they've negotiated things on their own and, and um, you know, merchandise and things like that. Mm. Um, even distribution, you know, so um, now we can distribute all over the world and there are distributors from places like Publish Drive and, and Draft Digital that you can meet in person, whereas at some point in history, you wouldn't have been able to do that because that would all be handled by publishers. Um, so networking is, is really, really important um, for authors and a lot of this isn't documented in an official book. So I saw a gap in the market <laughs> and I thought I'd sort of jump in and, and try and essentially work it from an indie perspective but that would also be relevant for, for traditionally published authors because they've got a lot more options than they think. Mm. Um, so the idea is to go from someone who knows nobody in the industry because a lot of us, you know, we're the only writers we know when we start out um, and to, to build this community of writers around you and then how to go about building an actual business around that. Um, so I, I thought it was a really important topic. And I could not agree with you more because if it weren't for my network, I wouldn't have been able to leave my job. So, um, you know, 
my network is okay so obviously the writing and your books are the most important thing but absolutely secondary to that is my network and if I didn't yeah. have a network you know you just you the, the opportunities are so much smaller and more scarce and you know the support network's not there but I'm sure we're gonna um, talk about all of that stuff um but yeah so okay so networking for anyone who's even remotely introverted is a terrifying prospect <laughs> um so talk to them uh what tips and tricks have you got for introverts specifically and apologies to all my extroverted listeners um you know this might be a refresher for you uh yes talk talk to the introverts who would like to network Okay, so not everyone is an extrovert. Um, I wouldn't class myself as an extrovert. Um, I was a really, really shy teenager, um, sort of developed um, through adulthood and uh, things like alcohol, they help. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, really yeah, developed. it does. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, what, what's good about this business and the fact that we, we live in, in you know, 2020 at the moment or whenever people are listening to this 50 years in the future, um, is that we've now got the, the internet um, and when it comes to being extroverted, you can be extroverted in certain situations depending on your comfort zone. Um, so what I find is that a lot of people, myself included, like to start online um, because you can very easily pick up contacts online um, tangentially. Someone that you wouldn't necessarily approach in the real world uh, because A, you wouldn't know who they are um, and B, they're, they're not necessarily going to be quite so um, engaged um, if you approach them out of the blue. If people are online, they can quite happily, you know, stalk your profile and things if you add a friend request or you or you follow them or something like that. So people are a lot more open because they go, oh, yeah, of course, they're a writer. They're relevant. They're not just someone who's, who's looking for me. <laughs> we are not advocating stalking here, people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, so, so there's that. Um, there's also the fact that um, extroversion kind of is a learned skill. So when you... When you start uh, networking, often you won't be the most confident person in the room. Um, everyone thinks they're not the most confident person in the room, even when they are the most confident person in the room, um, because a lot of it is sort of bravado and show at these events. Um, but yeah, you can start small online, you know, join some groups. You can, you can just sort of watch what other people are doing in, in these sort of Facebook groups and on Twitter with hashtags and Instagram and things like that. Um, and then eventually... Um, you can organize to, to meet up with some people. Now, you don't necessarily have to, you know, burst into a room like a wrestler with, a, you know, the, the music playing in the background and announce that you've arrived. Um, you, you can walk in, you can talk to one or two people at an event. You know, it doesn't have to be a huge amount. Um, all you really want to focus on is progress. Um, and meeting up with one person face-to-face -face is more than you would have done before you go to an event. Um, so it's something that starts slowly. Um, I've done the London Book Fair six times now. Um, and the first time I turned up, I knew nobody. Um, it's really overwhelming, actually, because there are so many lights and so much advertising. People are talking constantly. Um, so I, I didn't really talk to many people the first year, maybe two or three. Um, now, though, six years later, I walk in and you see a lot of the same people crop up and then they introduce you to new people. And I, I literally can walk in now to, to some of the, the parties and things they have there, all the, you know, the, the business brunches and all that type of stuff. And you always know at least a few people. Um, and it's quite community driven then it's, it's like walking into you know your local bar and seeing people that you consider friends yeah know. absolutely and um i think the thing is that okay not all writers are extroverts and that is a bit of a misnomer you know i think there is a disproportionately large amount of introverts in the writing world but not everybody is but the thing is because most people are introverts you can rest safe in the knowledge that everybody else is shitting themselves just as much as you <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> you, know, absolutely. you know that that's the thing though everybody else is also terrified and um my dad i once so for the first time i went to london book fair i said i before i walked in i i literally thought i was going to vomit you know, a lug <laughs> up or something and so i phoned my dad who's like the ultimate charmer of like all charmers and okay. i mean he literally will walk in a room and people will like flock to him i don't get it like it's just like he's magnetic for people some people do that yeah yeah and um anyway so i said to him like what's what's the best thing I can do? You know, what's your best uh, networking tip? How do you do it? And he said, 
I just do one thing. And I was like, okay, okay, thinking, you know, it's going to be some terribly horrible, you know, difficult thing that I'm not going to be able to do. And he said, I smile. And that's it. Oh, really? Yeah, he said, like I smile. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like a joker smile. No, he just said, you know, I smile and it makes you... Um, you know, open and appealing to other people. If you're, yeah, you yeah. know, if you, if you've got resting bitch face, which unfortunately I have most of the time, most it's um, <laughs> yeah, no, but it's it closes you off and it doesn't make people want to come and talk to you. So, yeah, yeah. Um, what I find as well is is if you go to these events um, with a safety net, so if you go with one person with you, um, it's great as a as a sort of you know, like holding onto the side of a swimming pool, but then you need to kick off eventually because if you're walking around as a two, you tend to talk to the person you go with and you're not that approachable for new starters. Um, whereas if you're, you know, in a queue waiting to buy a sandwich and somebody walks up and they, they just sort of loiter in, you know, in, in a break between sessions or something, then they will talk to you if you're on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, so what you find is, is sort of just being approachable. It does half the work for you. Yeah, Absolutely. Okay, so what are the biggest mistakes you see authors making when trying to network? Okay, um, so I, I've done a lot of these things myself. Um, <laughs> like I said, the, the, the power dynamic is, is a weird thing in the publishing industry because um, there are some people, I think this is a little bit like this in all of the arts, so there's um, you know actors and musicians and things like that. There are a very small minority of people who are extremely, extremely powerful and famous and, and make loads of money and all the rest of it. And then the vast majority of people struggle to sort of get off the, the starting blocks. Um, so a lot of people go in um, with a, a sense of desperation, like they need to be picked up by someone, um, which what they should really be doing is going in with a, the ear of a, a job interviewer. Um, so rather than going in as an interviewee and you're sort of all, all sweaty and trying to please everyone, you should just go in and say, right, I'm, I'm looking to do these sorts of things with my business, you know, X, Y, and Z. This is what I need to, to get done. Um, who in this industry could possibly help me in these ways, you know, and you need to be looking for someone that you ultimately get on with um, because that's, that's a big deal when it comes to networking. If you don't really mesh, um, even if you think those people can, can give you a lot of opportunities, then there's, there's no point talking to them because it's not really going to work long term. Um, there's oh, other mistakes as well. You've kind of tried to, a lot of people try to sell and this is online on and offline. So um Anyone who, who jumps in, they send you a friend request and then immediately ask you to like their page, buy their book, review it, love it, you know, share it with everyone. Um, that sort of thing. And the same at networking events when you turn up in person. Um, that's very, very off-putting um, for most people who, um, like myself, now turn up for the social aspect um, where you don't really want to be sold to at these things. What you want is to learn interesting things and, and have sort of conversations with people who are doing interesting things. You go, oh, I didn't really think of that, you know, and often that's the way they should be putting themselves across. Um, mm. So yeah, it's, it's, I guess it's, it's sort of a, a sense of innocent desperation, you know, but it is, it's, it's the fact that they don't know any better <laughs> until they, until they've done it for a little while. Um, there's, there's also the fact that they're often a little bit too um, self-deprecating. So I, I've again done this myself. Um, when you don't have a massive amount of, of success, you tend to compare to um, other people. And then when they say, oh, I've you know, hit the New York Times bestseller list four times and things like that. And then they say, oh, what, what are you doing? And, and a lot of people will say, oh, well, I'm, I'm working on this, this little book and it's, it's not, you know, not going to be massively marketable and things like that. Whereas what they should really be doing is, is saying, right, this is what I do. Um, I'm really passionate about this area because then they're not, over hyping themselves they're just essentially saying where the value is in in who they are as a person at these events you know so it's they they're saying exactly what they need to say but not being um not 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 lying you know essentially you don't want to big yourself up but you also don't want to come across as someone who's, who's not worth talking to mm. yeah and there is always bravado and macho at these things and yeah yeah (laughs) but yeah you the opposite is you don't want to be too humble because if you're too humble then people won't realize how successful you are and the things that you can do um so yes yeah 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 i yes i'll maybe talk to you about that offline (laughs) (laughs) um okay so let's take so at the time of recording we are in uh february 2019 2020 wait 
God, Christ, what year is it? It's 2020. We're in February 2020, which is just before one of the UK's largest um, book fairs, London Book Fair, which for anybody... Um, with the travel means, if you can go to London Book Fair, I highly recommend it. Um, if not, if for nothing else than the networking. Um, but how can writers prepare for such big events like this? There's, I think, there's something ridiculous like twenty five thousand people that go to uh, yeah. London Book Fair. Huge. So, yeah, what can writers do to prepare themselves for the London Book Fair or another, you know, large conference like that? Yeah. Um, okay. So I would say that um, fifty percent of the work is done beforehand, like most things. Um, so the the online groundwork can be done in in things like Facebook groups and and Twitter hashtags and things. You can find out who's going in advance. Um, you can find out what events are on. You know what you might be interested in. Um, so yeah, don't turn up unprepared because if you turn up unprepared, you're going to be sort of bumbling around, not knowing who anyone is, what anyone's doing, where anyone is, that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, there's, um, the itinerary comes into that as well. Um, so every year, uh, the London Book Fair will have possibly, I think it's about 60 events on over a, a three day period. Um, ultimately most people can only go to about 10 or 12 um, so what you really want to do is go through that itinerary um, and cut it down to the exact ones that you'd like to go so that you're not guessing on the day. You're actually going to be going to relevant talks and things where people are talking about subjects that would, would help you. Um, because if you don't do that, um, well, you, you won't get the value out of, out of the sessions that you'd like. Um, it, it helps if you know the floor plan. Um, these, these, these buildings are huge usually. So, you know, the London Book Fair is a bit of a maze when you turn up at Olympia. Um, if you've got a floor plan in advance online, um, then you can find out exactly where the different talks are because you've got to walk between them. So there's no point you setting up, you know, back-to-back -back talks and then finding out that you've got a 25-minute walk between them and, and you're just going to turn up, you know, sweaty and horrible or you're not going to turn up on time at all. Um, so it's, it's all about the preparation. Um, there's one of the major things, and this was a really big mistake that I did in my first year, was um, I didn't book a hotel. Um, so I live in, yeah, I live in South Wales, um, which is about 200 miles away from London. And I thought I can get up really early. And then um, I caught a 4am bus, which I had to travel for 45 minutes to get there anyway. So I had to set off at quarter past three in the morning. Um, by the time I got there, I think it was just before 9am. Um, and I felt like I'd had a whole day because I'd just been traveling for hours um so so i was really really tired i had to carry bags with me because i had to bring all of my stuff for the day um and then i got invited to an after party um during the day and i couldn't go because i had to travel back home um so i had to leave early and and, and go back home whereas if you've got a hotel um you know i know it's not something that's affordable for everyone but if you can do this it really does help um so you can you can wake up at a, at a normal hour um you can walk in and be fresh there's a reason why businesses pay for things like business class flights and hotels and things for their employees because they know that they can work at their best if they they turn up fresh um so that's definitely something that you should consider because you know you've also got the the fact that you can go to these other events that people people sort of come up with impromptu ideas oh let's go for a meal after the conference and then you know 10 authors will go for a meal and that's that's something that you'll miss out on if you you have to leave um so yeah i'd say that's a big thing um another thing is uh, get business cards printed because um, I don't know about you, but I meet um, possibly minimum 20 people a day, possibly up to about 50 when I'm there. Um, and you don't always remember who they are. Um, when you're um, at some of the later events and they've got free bars and things, you don't have the best memory afterwards. <laughs> so there's, there's these things where you need to A, collect business cards by other people and B, give out business cards because they've got the same problems as everybody else. Um, so getting those sorted really, really helps. Otherwise you're in a situation where you're, you know, writing people's names in your phone as notes and things like that. And it just, it gets a bit chaotic. Yeah. And I have something to add on that, which, um, I can't remember who told me this. Um, actually, I think it might've been my dad again. It's, it's the networking. Man. Yeah, it is obviously. Um, so he says to only have 
printing on one side of your business card. And uh, so normally people have double-sided business cards, mm -hmm. you know, because they're all fancy and they're all glossy. But if they're glossy, you can't write on them. So what he does oh, now yeah. is he only has them printed on one side and um, he will, it will mean that he can either add information to the back if necessary, or if somebody gives him a business card and they're double-sided, yeah. he will then write on one of the back of his, one of, on the back of one of his cards, some identifying feature or some, something. <laughs> no, no, but honestly, like it was, um, you know, it could have been crime author with the red jacket or, you yes. know, just so that he can then put a face to a name afterwards. Because when you are meeting 20, 30, 40, 60, 100 people in a day, yeah, yeah. there's no fucking way you're going to remember yeah, <laughs> who somebody because was. We're we're in an, in an industry where uh, people have got alter egos and pen names and things like that. So often, what you'll find is that you are talking to someone in a bar and they'll introduce themselves with their real name. Yeah. Um, and then you try to to find them online and they go in online by their pen name. So what you really need to do is is you know write down the name of the person that you met, you know their real name, and then you can obviously find them more easily because you can associate who they are in real life to who they are online. Um, otherwise, you you know you're, you're going to lose half the people. Mm. It's it's really interesting that you said that though because it's it's useful. Again, if you're talking to traditional publishers and distributors, um, some of the um, lower level staff often won't have their own business cards. Um, so you've got to write on the back of their business cards because they've given you their manager's card or something, and you need a contact. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's it's really useful. Yeah, and that, that well, that and that's exactly why uh, I say to only print on one side of yours because then you have like you don't then have to carry reams and reams of paper or whatever. Um, also, um, take a picture of the business card on your phone just in case you lose the business card because when you ha are handed like five hundred of these things, it's yeah. very easy to lose them. So um, yeah, you can always take a picture of the business card and keep that in your phone as well. I'm guilty of that. I've put things in a notepad, um, sort of slotted business cards into a notepad, and then left a notepad on a desk and walked yep. away. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yes. But did you do it on purpose? That's the real question. <laughs> oh, no, I'd never do that. <laughs> yeah, of course you wouldn't. Um, okay. So what can a writer do once they've developed these, you know, they've introduced themselves, they've, they've pulled up their big girl panties, they've introduced themselves. What can a writer do to sustain those relationships and develop them once they've left the conference and they are back in the real world? Okay, so um, ultimately the, the truth is you won't maintain all relationships because some people are a lot less, um, a lot less active afterwards and they, you know, they don't follow up on things and, and stuff like that. Um, also, um, lots of people will be super, super um, network friendly when they've got a book launch and then they, they're not until they've got another book launch. Um, so you've got to bear that in mind with some people that you know, they, they're very strict with their time. Um, what I will say, and this is a good segue from the previous point, is to process those business cards. So I've got a spreadsheet um, that I, I bring all my business cards home. I usually got a stack of like 30 from, from you know, events like this. Um, and then I go through and I just, to make sure everything's organized, I, I put the name of the person and, and their email address and where I met them and all that. So that if I ever need to email them, A, it's easily searchable in a document um, compared to you know, sifting through physical business cards that fade and stuff. Um, but also you've got context. You could be like, oh, we met at, you know, the Ronda Book Fair in 2016 because you've got that written down on top of the, the other information. That's totally yeah. how you knew where we'd met, wasn't, isn't it? Oh, I've got this on everyone. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, yeah, there's also reunions. So I know a lot of people will... Um, They'll meet loads and loads of people at these large events, but then um, they'll find out that a few of the people that they connected with at these events actually live a lot closer to them than, you know, than some others. Um, so they'll organize, you know, nights out for meals or, you know, some will go on holiday together. I know um, the walking trips are quite a big thing at the moment. Um, I think uh, Jo Penn mentioned this on her podcast before, which said that um, they do um, writers, 10Ks and, you know, those sorts of things where you talk as you're walking. Um, I don't know what it is about that. I think it's maybe the, the long mindset mentality where you've got like a big goal and everyone's happy just to, to sort of work towards it. But yeah, there's a, there's a massive overlap between people who like things like long distance running and writing books. Um, it's, it's a really odd little niche, but I, I like it. 
um, you can also collaborate. Um, so collaboration is um, massive at the moment, and I think it's only getting bigger with people creating universes and things like that. Um, if you find people who um, work in your genre, then a really good way to stay in touch um, is to say, oh, would you like to do this project together? You know, um, especially if they, they're very, very successful because they, they often, you might have to take on a lot of the workload, um, but that sort of thing is, a, is, a, is sort of an in-route um, to, you know, tapping into other people's fans and things like that. So it can be really, really useful. Um, with collaboration, it doesn't just have to be with other authors, though. Um, so you can collaborate on launches. I know some distributors will say, oh, if you've got a launch coming up, plan two months in advance and then contact me and we can talk about merchandising opportunities and things like that. So that is, um, if you've got an exact contact, that's a route in and say, oh, you mentioned merchandising opportunities. Do you mind if we do something for my next launch in June? You know, all of these things. Um, so there's, there's loads of ways that you can, you know, that you can keep relationships going afterwards. You don't have to sort of, go silent until the next event. Um, of course, you can set up groups specifically for the next event. So you can find out when everyone's going to the same event next year or, or if they're going somewhere else and go, oh, we'll set up a, you know, a messenger chat or WhatsApp or something. And then you all talk between you. Um, and I found that's really good because if there are a few of you in there, you've always got something to talk about. Yeah, definitely. And, and then also it becomes a resource and like a mastermind group in a way too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, you can sort of bounce ideas off each other and, and find out what didn't work for other people that you were about to try and can now save you a lot of time and things like that. It's really good. <laughs> um, any tips for networking online? Okay, um, so this is entirely dependent on who you are as an author. So it's, it's you know, if you write uh, nonfiction business books, for example, you, you're going to want to look for somewhere, first of all, that is relevant to you. So they've got a relevant audience. Um, so, you know, you might want to go to LinkedIn or something. So I think the first point would be to find uh, a social media network that is relevant to you because, you know, if you're writing a, a book on politics, then you'll want to go to Twitter. Um, I do advise not bringing up politics in networking um, because that can go down a, a bad route. But if that's your area, then then that's pretty much what you, you have to talk about. Um, and often being controversial in politics is a, is a thing that gets you noticed. Um, yeah, I know a lot of people who, who write uh, children's books and find that something like Pinterest works really well for them if they've got you know, picture books and they're really relevant and colourful because uh, Pinterest, I think the biggest market there is um, women in their 30s typically. I think that's like the huge demographic um, and women in their 30s um, a lot of the time have children. Um, so it, it's one of these things where a lot of the authors in that area hang out to talk about it, but also they've got an audience there um, who is willing to share their things. Um, so yeah, my, my next thing would be um, that you should probably read the guidelines in Facebook groups. So lots of people set up these huge Facebook groups um, and then people will sort of bulldoze their way in and immediately start talking and saying, I want to do this and, and, and things like that. Um, and they can rub people up the wrong way. Or if they ask lots of questions that have already been answered. Um, so often what, um, the organizers of Facebook groups do is they have um, a section which is like an FAQ where you can go down and say, right, these areas have already been addressed, so you're not bringing up the same topics over and over again. Um, and that way you can actually add more value with, with relevant questions because if you've got a question that's never been asked before, um, I think the example I give in the book is um, if you don't know a lot of the, the jargon and the acronyms in, in the you know, the indie author space, uh, things like D to D and BB ads and things like that. You're not going to know what they, those are until you start using all of that stuff. Um, you can ask a, a question that is something like, um, you know, can you give me an encyclopedia of all of these different, you know, all of these different terms. Um, and then all of the comments in that, in that chain will be all of these different terms. And you've added value to the group then, because even though you, didn't add information, you asked the right questions so that other people could compile all of the information that somebody else could find useful. Mm. Um, and the organizers can then direct newcomers to that post and say, this is, this is the post with all of the terms that you can look for yourself. Mm. I um, did think that was a genius question, by the way, when I read that in the book, I was like, well, that's actually <laughs> a really good question. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's, it's, you know, you, you find these every now and again, and then um, they do end up getting pinned and people will keep ref referring to them as like a Hall of Fame post, uh, which is great for your reputation because all of these new people coming in then see you as, a, as an authority figure, even though you, you only asked the question, you didn't actually provide any value. 
um, so you, you're associated in a big way with the group then. Um, yeah, so there's, there's, I've also got this idea, which I don't think I actually explained in the book fully in this way. Um, and it sounds a little bit um, cold, but it, it, you can do it in a nice way, essentially. Um, is, you know, like a sales funnel. Um, mm-hmm. where there's people on the outside who don't know your brand if you're a business and then they can move in closer to the point where at the bottom of the funnel they're, they're you know, loyal customers. <clears throat> well, you can do the same with networking. Um, so you can go onto things like hashtags and groups and things where you're going to encounter lots and lots of people who are all vaguely aware of each other. Um, but then when you sort of have a spark with, with certain people who are really sort of into your niche or you want to talk to more, you can gradually move towards more personal connections like direct messaging and Skype and things like that. So it's one of the things with online networking is even if you don't want to go out and meet up in person and do all of these things, you can get more familiar connections over time with people that you really are interested in. Mm. Um, so I think that's a good way to, to develop until you're ready to go out and network in the real world. Amazing. Well, this has been a jam-packed um, episode of loads of tips. So hopefully everybody's feeling a bit more confident. <laughs> but now we come to my favourite question of the podcast. Okay. Uh, this is the Rebel Author Podcast. So tell me about a time you unleashed your inner rebel. Okay, so I I prepared for this question because I knew it was coming. <laughs> um, because you've asked everyone. Um, I have. I will so always. <laughs> I've got two. I've got one that's relevant to publishing and then one which on the surface makes me sound like a really cool espionage type person. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, yeah. Um, so the first one, the publishing one, I pulled out of a traditional publishing contract at the publisher that I worked for. <gasps> I know, I know. <laughs> oh my God, that is so controversial. I absolutely love it. <laughs> Why? What happened? Well, like I mentioned earlier, so there, there were lots of things that um, we disagreed on with, with marketing strategies and things like that. We were fine. We're, we're really good friends, you know, me and my boss. My boss is actually now my editor. Um, so it's... it's yeah, you because know, they freelance work on the side and things like that. Um, you didn't lose your and, job. Yeah, then. it was just the fact that um, when you're when you're in the office and you can see um, that lots of people's books are being worked on at the same time, you're kind of impatient to get to yours because you know if if your your book is in the pipeline, you went ah, oh, if I just did this myself, I know that I get it done a lot faster because it's not in this process with everybody else. Um, so I basically just just rocked up one day and said do you mind if i i get all of my rights back um and it actually went, went really well um so like i said we we get on really well um we've actually been to the london book fair together since then <laughs> so you didn't you um, didn't lose your, you didn't lose your job no no it, it went better <laughs> than expected <laughs> you lucky son of yeah. a bitch uh, I I know. tell me tell me the other one yeah so the other one um i damaged my passport um the day before a flight to hong kong um and i decided because i tried to like expedite it and get it same day delivery to get like a replacement um so i just decided i couldn't get it done so i just go i wing it and try, try and get through customs um so i got through the uk we had a, a flight change in india where some large soldiers with guns warned me that i probably shouldn't do this but they let it off this one time um and then i got oh to hong God. kong after you know hours and hours of flights um, and they took me into the interrogation room where they removed me from my friends. Um, it was great. Um, for, from a writer's perspective, you think this is gold. Um, but yeah, I, I essentially bluffed because um, they, they said, you know, do you have any proof that you're coming here for the reasons you'll say you're coming here for and all that? And I, I handed over my phone and said, if you want to call one of my friends who's got a, a dual national ship, uh, you can call them. Now I knew that they change their SIM card when they get there because they get better rates and things out there, but I was banking on them not calling them. <laughs> and, and yeah, the, the bluff worked and they went, no, no, it's fine. We believe you. Um, we'll, we'll let you through. So I, I bluffed my way into Hong Kong once um, in a very light way. Like I didn't, you know, James Bond my way in, but it's the closest I get. <laughs> that is pretty wicked though. I mean, you must have balls of steel to have done that, to have gone through like, multiple customs and um well not really um there's with my my mental my mentality was i've already done sort of 18 hours of flights what's the worst that can happen they could say oh it you know they i didn't get through to them we don't believe you we're sending you home yeah. um so it's not like i'm going to be you know 
imprisoned for 20 years or anything. So I was like, I may as well just go for it. Just bluff it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. Well, tell listeners where they can find out more about you and your books. Um, yeah, okay. So one of the best ways to find updates on my books right now uh, for the nonfiction stuff is to go to danielparsonsbooks.com slash networking. Um, because I, at the time that this podcast is out, I will have already published the book and um, I'll be giving away a freebie for people who want to know all of the biggest conferences in the world and their merits and things like that um, via that mailing list. Um, or you can you know, follow me on Twitter at DK Parsons Writer, um, or just you know search me online and, and find me any, anywhere else. Um, but yeah, thank you for having me on. You are most welcome. And thank you to all of the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the Rebel Author podcast episodes, you can do so by going to www.patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black, and that is Sasha with a C. Thank you very much to everybody listening. I'm Sasha Black. You are listening to Dan Parsons, and this was the Rebel Author Podcast. Next week, I'll be talking to Barry Hutchison all about how to bootstrap your marketing. I actually am very, very grateful to Barry because he came in right at the last minute. I chopped around my schedule because um, in these you know, very difficult uh, global times, I know there's a lot of people very concerned about money. So I wanted to bring you an episode where um, we spoke about how to do marketing with little to no money at all. So that is what next week's episode is going to be about and thank you again to Barry. Don't forget to answer this week's question, uh, how do you network? And also don't forget to go and pre-order your copy of The Anatomy of Prose and hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed, this time by the time this episode airs, the paperback will be live. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher and when you have a moment, please leave a review. (music) 